Before I start with uh, the teach and preaching part of my message, I want to give honor to my parents, Randy and Pat are down there. Um, my, parent, my, my dad, when we started our church and rolling everything in and out and in and out and in every week, uh, he was in charge of the guys that did all the setup and the teardown and everything. And my mom was in charge of the details and the paperwork and making sure that uh, that we got contacts with everybody and the events. And mom, I still have in my office in a, in a file drawer uh, the little binder you put together for me of all the people that were here in the first year and every job that they did at the church. Um, and uh, and we, dad, we still talk about the stories of the setup team and, uh, and all the work that that was and you buying breakfast burritos for the guys doing that. Uh, I want you to understand that I saw in my parents as a child an investment in the kingdom. Um, and that has translated into my life um, to be invested in kingdom stuff. And it has fleshed itself out in constant and perpetual ministry uh, for me and my brother and my sister when we were children in church, all the way through planting this church. And so, uh, mom and dad, I love you. Thank you for investing in the kingdom. Thank you for investing in all these people. Uh, I love you. Uh, in, in our study on Mark th in, the, in the Gospel of Mark, if you have a Bible and brought one with you, I want you to go to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're going to look at that. We've been in the first three chapters thus far. Uh, and in the first three chapters of Mark, We've seen the works of Jesus. It's been very active. It reads like a newspaper article, just one event after another, after another, after another. The works of Jesus, the works of Jesus, the works of Jesus. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 in Mark. At chapter 4 and through chapter 5, it transitions from the works of Jesus to the words of Jesus. Words are important. Jesus' words are important. And this transition that we see in the Gospel of Mark is vital. Because in the transition from the works of Jesus to the words of Jesus, Jesus gives us insight through his words into a thing called the kingdom of God. What we've seen in his works is the revelation, the manifestation, the showing of what the kingdom is in the world. And now Jesus says, I'm going to put pause on a minute on what I'm doing. I want to teach you. I want to give you some insight as to what has created the works. And what's created the works has been the words and the inside of the kingdom. It's important what we believe our insight into the kingdom of God. Jesus spoke a lot about the kingdom of God. He said things like this, when you've seen me do these things, you will know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. So it was a present thing. He also says, there is a kingdom, mine, that is not of this world, that is still coming. And so Jesus introduced for us this weird dichotomy that for those who follow him live in the tension between the kingdom that has come and the one that's still coming. It has not come in its totality, but it has come. Every once in a while we get glimpses of it. It's important to know Jesus' words about the kingdom because, I want you to understand this, Insight leads to impact. Insight that we have leads to impact of what we do. 
And so the reason why I'm taking a moment, and I'm going to draw this out a little bit today, is that we have to get the insight in order to access the impact. We have to get the insight of the kingdom to be able to gain access to the impact of the kingdom in this world. Now, I realize who we are, I realize what we believe. There's a lot of us who think that, well, words are important, but words are not as important as actions, right? I mean, every one of us would, would agree with that. Like, words are important, but a, like actions speak louder than, than words. I understand we think that way, but we think that way because we live in the Western world. That, 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 that's a very American Western concept that words and actions can be separated. And it usually leads to this, because words and actions can be separated. In other words, that words are stronger than actions. It means that words have less importance than actions do. And whether you would, you would say it right now or not, because it feels like I'm setting you up, all of us believe that. And the way that has fleshed itself out, and I need you to stay with me for a little bit, in the evangelical Western church world, and the way it's been most pronounced in the evangelical Western world, especially to our young generation, is by a very well-meaning and well-serving and a very powerful ministry, and rightly so, by a man named Francis Chan. He has a very powerful ministry and has turned a lot of people into doing acts of righteousness. Um, and and because he, he, he wrote this book called Crazy Love, about God's crazy love for us, and that crazy love takes and fleshes itself out in action in the world. The result of that ministry, and, and he will say this, he was one of, the, one of the forerunners of this in this younger generation. The result is that many young ones took off and did good work, did a lot of ministry, but they missed the insight that should have propelled the impact. A lot of people took off and did a lot of good mission stuff. But they did it from a desire to have impact, and they missed the insight that should have propelled the impact. And what was left by Chan's own admission was that a movement of great social impact through the church, but came from people who had very little insight about the kingdom with no personal purity of holiness. They got a lot of work done. And this is our danger, to seek impact without having insight. So here's, here's what I want us to get. I'm going to keep developing this. Biblical impact arises from biblical insight. And so when we look at things in the Bible and we think that was, that was I'd love to see that. And we seek the impact that we see in the Bible without having the insight from the Bible. The tail wags the dog. And unless biblical impact arises from biblical insight, it's just works and it's social action, which might be good, but it misses the power of the kingdom. Our Western world has missed the understanding of the biblical understanding of what words are. The, biblically, the Eastern mind understands that the words bring activity. Insight produces impact. What we have sought is impact, period. And most importantly, insight produces impact in the heavenly realm and the spiritual realm. The Hebrew writers of scripture and the thinkers understood words as arrows. 
that were shot out of a person carrying, in their words, packets of energy that left lasting impression on hearers of the words. And so just, just think for a minute, biblically. The Bible says that we, flesh and blood, don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and powers. In other words, we wrestle against a kingdom of evil, rulers and authorities and powers. So the question is, how do our physical actions impact a spiritual reality? The fact is they don't, but words do. Because words have a spiritual element to them that carry impact. Just think about it. Every miraculous move of Jesus was propelled by his words first. Jesus never thought of a miracle and then it just happened. He always made pronouncement. Because that pronouncement based on the insight carried with it incredible impact. So it was the kingdom of God and the insight of the kingdom of God that had power over the kingdom of the evil one. It's that kingdom of God insight that has power over the kingdom of the devil impact. And if we miss the kingdom of God insight, we'll languish to have power over the kingdom of the evil's impact. You follow me so far? Have I lost you yet? Okay. So throughout Mark 1, 2, and 3, we see the works of Jesus, the kingdom of God taking shape in the world. It seems as though sometimes when you read the Bible, when I read the Bible, you see all this work of Jesus in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it seems as if these moves of God are almost just coming, they're confusing random acts from an omnipotent being. Like, how do you figure out why Jesus did the miracles he did? It just seems like sometimes this random, like, how do I pull the tag that gets me the number that causes him to call on me for something that I need? You know what I'm saying? It's like, it just seems this random move from a confusing God that has all power to do stuff when he feels like it, when he doesn't, he doesn't, and it's just, I don't, it's confusing. Now, I don't know if you feel that way. That's just how I feel sometimes. And I started thinking that every miracle of Jesus Every miracle that he tried worked. You know what I'm saying? Like every miracle Jesus tried was successful. He never tried some miracles like, ah, shoot. That one didn't pan out. We'll give it a shot next time. You know, he just didn't. Why? Because Jesus understood the priority of the kingdom because it was his kingdom. And he moved understanding the prior and preeminence of kingdom. So what we do is we make the prior and preeminence our behavior without ever thought to the inside of the kingdom. Jesus moved in lockstep with kingdom priority because it was his kingdom. And so Jesus has showed us all these works. Now he's going to give us insight through his words about the kingdom, the thing that provided the power for the works. This is what we have to understand, and we have to come to know. And I was thinking about this, that maybe, just maybe, maybe, when Jesus would peel back the kingdom we live in of this dark world and show us glimpses of the kingdom, 
Maybe the revelation of the kingdom was more about him understanding the kingdom's preeminence than it was about a Christian's performance. Maybe Jesus' miracles, maybe his miraculous ways was more about the kingdom's preeminence in that moment than it was about a focus on a Christian's performance. See, here's what happens. We erroneously think that if I follow Jesus and I do the right things and I pray the right things and I live the right way, perhaps part of this incredible kingdom will pop up in my life and our, our focus is on the Christian's performance rather than the preeminence of the kingdom. We got a lot of study to do to understand kingdom rather than Christianity. Maybe God's intervention, what we call a miracle, that we've seen over and over in Mark 1, 2, and 3, is less about God moving against natural laws and more about him moving in line with his rule and the authority of the kingdom. Kingdom pays no attention to natural law. So what we have is we live in this battle between the kingdom of the devil. We know what that's like. It's this world, this dark kingdom that we're living in. We understand that. And we live in this tension between that kingdom that is the reality of our lives and the kingdom of God. And when the kingdom of God shows up, it is there's authority over the kingdom of the evil one. You follow me so far? Sometimes that happens in this world. It always happens in the next. And so we live in this tension of this dark, evil world. We understand what that's like. And we live with this tension that sometimes the kingdom of God breaks through. But we live with the hope that one day, the kingdom of God will overrule all things. And we live in that kingdom forever. So, Mark 4. The words of Jesus. Words of insight regarding the kingdom reveal that it's this kingdom impact from this kingdom insight. And so this is why Jesus makes the transition. This is why the gospel makes the transition. So in your Bibles, that was all set up for my message. So you ready? Mark chapter 4, the first two verses. We're going to see the transition from the works of Jesus to the words of Jesus. And the words of Jesus are going to give us insight to the kingdom because the kingdom of God is what produces impact. So Mark chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore. At the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, and we'll get into what he said, but let me just set this up. Jesus is by the lake and he is where? In a boat. What's he doing from the boat? Huh? He's teaching. Why is this important? Well, don't get lost in this. It's not that, well, of course, he's, he, he's, not, he's not standing in the boat, right? He's sitting, right? You see, he sat. That's what it says. It says he sat. He, did you see that? And sat in it. Now, it, it's not that he was sitting because he was in a boat, and it's dangerous to stand in a boat unless you have a, a, a United States Coast Guard life vest. So because the United States Coast Guard didn't exist back then, he didn't have a life vest, so it was best for him to sit. Because if he fell, he would have to like sit on top of the water because he's Jesus. You know, he didn't want to do that part yet. <laughs> he's sitting. Why? Not because he's in a boat. He's sitting because he's teaching. See, what we don't understand that tradition tells us that when a rabbi taught, he sat. 
And when the rabbi preached, he stood. So Jesus sat because what's he going to do? He's going to teach them. Teach them what? Teach them about the kingdom of God. Because he's teaching. So. Let me stop teaching and start preaching. Okay. I appreciate that. I thought that was pretty clever. <laughs> the first thing that Jesus taught them was the word of God and the heart of the human. I want you to pay attention to this. He used parables. Now, a parable is different than allegory. In a parable, there's one main point, and there's a lot of details about that one main point. All the details don't really matter. The one point is what matters. And so he tells these long-developed parables, and a lot of people search for meaning in the details. There's no meaning in the details necessarily. It's the one point. And so he uses parables to teach people. Here's the thing about parables. He says this about parables. Those who understand parables are those who want to understand parables, and those who don't understand parables are those who don't want to understand it. That's what he says. And so this is the parable. See if you want to understand. Listen. That's what he says first. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some other seed fell along rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Check them. Do you got them? If you got them, he says, listen now. When he was alone, the 12 and others came to him and asked about the parables. So he told them. The secret of what? The kingdom of God has just been given to you. He says, I'm talking to you about the kingdom of God. You are looking and hearing something different. So let me explain to you about the kingdom of God. And he goes on. Don't you understand this parable? If you don't understand this one, you're not going to stand any of them. First start here, and it will start to make sense. The farmer sows the word. The seed is the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But soon they have no root. Uh, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others now, though, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30 some 60, some 100 times what was sown. This is what he's saying. In these days, the farmer, no John Deere tractor, had to do all the work by hand. And after preparing the soil by hand, would simply throw out the seed. Now, this farmer knew what seed was good and where it was bad, but he didn't have a lot of control over where it went because he threw it out. He knew it was going to fall everywhere. He knew the target was good, soil and receptive hearts, but he just threw it out there, and he knew it would go everywhere, and it did. 
So Jesus is saying, before I tell you about the kingdom, you've got to understand your heart. And there are four types of heart represented by these four soils. There's four types of receptivity in people. So as you look at this parable, Jesus says, consider who, what heart you have. Consider what your soil is. And he says the first soil he talks about is a, is a heart with no interest towards the kingdom of God's stuff. Some of you have been there. Some of you still are there. There's just no interest in the kingdom of God. There's no receptivity to it. There might be a curiosity about a lot of things, but the kingdom of God is not high on the priority list. And probably at some point we've all been there. And unfortunately, some have already given the devil a foothold so that whatever God tries to do and speak in their life is quickly plucked away by the evil one. So nothing ever takes root. And that's the unfortunate reality for a lot of people. It's interesting to me, and I realize that I said that not every detail of a parable has a point, but I do find it interesting that in this parable, the farmer didn't try to chase away the birds. And it wasn't the farmer's job to make the soil different. It's beyond his scope. So he just put it out there. There's a second type of soil, which represents a second type of heart, which was rocky ground. And for that soil, for that heart, there's initial growth, but it's shallow growth, and they lack zeal. And this is why the scripture in Revelation, uh, sorry, Romans 12, 11 is so important. Let us never be lacking in zeal, but keep our spiritual fervor serving the Lord, because when the soil is thin, it dies quick. And some people get initially excited about the Bible and initially excited about Jesus and initially excited about the kingdom, but stuff happens. And when stuff happens, they say stuff like, I used to be excited about church, but then. I used to be excited about the Bible, but then. I used to be excited about reading the Bible, but then. I used to be excited about serving, but then. But then difficulty, but then discouragement, but then disappointment. And it's a second soil life. Because that excitement dies quick. The third soil. There are those that grew well, but weeds choked it out. Choked out the productivity of faith. What we're really talking about, and I can't overemphasize this enough, is the fact that we live in two, between two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of the evil one. And we know, we've experienced every day the kingdom of the evil one. We know what that looks like. What we're talking about is the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the devil, and they are in conflict with each other. The great thing is that we get to choose which of those kingdoms we will regularly invest in. What are the weeds of the kingdom of this world that choke out the word of the kingdom of God? It's things like the, the kingdom, that kingdom, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of the evil one, is the worry of that kingdom, is the stress in that kingdom, is the exhaustion in this world because we don't practice the law of the Sabbath of God's kingdom. The kingdom of that world is the kingdom that convinces us and fools us that money has answers and protection. That kingdom, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of the evil one, is the desire of the things of that world that overrides the desires of the kingdom of God. And when we get excited about the kingdom of God and then the worries and the deceitfulness and all the things of the world in which we live choke that out, we realize that we're a third soil life. But there are some, there are a few of the fourth soil 
who hear the word, accept it, believe it, trust it, and invest in it, and produce a crop. And, and the way I say it is like this. Kingdom living produces bountiful living. We seek a bountiful life by the kingdom of the world's ways, and we miss it every time. And what Jesus is saying is before we understand the kingdom of God's stuff, we have to understand the role of the world in the heart. That kingdom living will produce bountiful living. Back in those days, a good crop that was sown in this way produced a return of eight to one investment. Eight to one. Not a bad return. What does Jesus say? He says, I'm talking about a kingdom world, not an eight to one investment. Right? Where did Jesus start? 30 to one. I'm not talking about a one-to-one return. I'm not talking about a two-to-one return. I'm not talking about a three-to-one return. I'm not even talking about a four-to-one. You can make me go up to eight. I'm not talking about I'm ta- a 30-to-one, a 100-to-one. Kingdom living produces bountiful living. And if we're not experiencing a bountiful return of 30, 60, 100 fold, it may be because the seed we're sowing is not kingdom seed, it's worldly seed. We have to ask ourselves, if God has, if the work of Jesus has, if the word of God has been sown into our life, we must consider what is the return it has produced. Not the intent that we desire it to produce. Fruit is not invisible Return on investment is not invisible. It's not intention or desire. It's actual fruit. And what we have to understand is if the word of God, the work of God has been sown into our heart, where and what is the proof of the return? And if it's not 30, 60, 100, it's not enough for it to be one to one. It's not enough for it to be two to one. It's not enough for me to be good and me to be right with God and not have an investment of a return of 30, 60 to 100 to 1. That's a kingdom return. And so we have to ask ourselves, if the word of God has been invested and planted, where's the return? If it's not 30, 60 or 100 to 1. And so Jesus moves from teaching about the word of God in the human heart to the kingdom of God. Because he knows that our insight about the kingdom will produce impact of the kingdom. So don't miss the insight. Please don't miss the insight. Kingdom insight begins with the word and leads to kingdom impact in the world. This is why it's so important to seed the word of God in our hearts because the insight of the word leads to impact in the world. And so towards that end, Jesus gives us a parable in Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 29. That's nowhere else in the gospels, not in Matthew, not, not in Luke, and not in John. And that little parable says this. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is. So he says, I'm going to explain to you what the kingdom of God, what we're talking about is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. That seed sprouts and it grows, though he doesn't know how. 
all by itself. The soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. He said, this is the kingdom of God. Now, please understand what kingdom means. We got to understand this. Kingdom means literally authority to rule. That's what kingdom means. The kingdom is revealed in people and territory. But what it means is the authority to rule. The kingdom of God is God's rule and authority regardless of the realm. The kingdom is not the realm in which the authority rules. The kingdom is the authority to rule and reign. reign. That rule and reign will find its manifestation in a realm of people and territory. But when we talk about the kingdom, what we're talking biblically, what we're talking about is the authority of God to rule and to reign. The kingdom is not first a people or a territory. The kingdom, according to the Bible, is primarily the authority to rule and to take action over. So the kingdom of God, like a seed planted in the world, that is always at work. Whether we understand it, whether we can see it, Regardless of our activity, regardless of our performance, it is always, even though the farmer doesn't understand the germination of seeds, even though the farmer doesn't understand all the botany stuff, even though the farmer doesn't understand cell division and reproduction and replication, the kingdom seed grows. Because he has the authority to rule and to reign, and he invites us into it. Here's the problem. In our Western mind, in our American Western mind, our focus is on the process of development. We read that parable, and we see, okay, the seed, and then the growth, and then the little, you know, pops through the soil, and then a little stock, and then the, and our, our focus is on the process of the growth. That's not the biblical point of this. The biblical point of this, the Eastern mind point of this, is that the seed carries in it the DNA of the life that produced it. That's the point of that parable. The seed contains the DNA of the life from which it came and produces kind of its kind. In other words, an apple seed has the DNA of an apple tree. And so when the DNA of an apple tree and seed is planted in the ground, what comes out? An apple tree. Because it holds the DNA of that life. You plant a lemon seed that contains the DNA of a lemon tree in the ground, what comes out? A lemon tree. Because it contains the DNA of the life of that seed. And what the parable that Jesus is talking about regarding the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God in seed has been planted in the world. And the results of it is it produces like of its kind. Kingdom of God manifestation in the world. Here's the problem. All of us know what the kingdom of the evil one is because those seeds have been planted not only in our world and in our life. And so when we see things like strife and division and hatred 
and injustice and disease and malady. All that is is planted seed bearing seed of its kind because that's the DNA it carries. And what Jesus is saying is I am planting my the, the kingdom DNA in this world and it will pop forth. There's only one job of the farmer. Plant the seed. The farmer could do nothing to add life to the seed. The only job is to plant kingdom seeds and then watch for the manifestation of the bursting forth of kingdom stuff in the world. So what we are about and what our church is about and what Christ followers are about is the proclamation and the investment in the faith in the kingdom. So all we do is that which reveals kingdom. That which reveals God's authority to rule and reign. Here's our problem. Here's our problem. Our focus has forever been on our obedience. Our focus has forever been on God, what do you want from me in order to obey you? That's our problem. Let me tell you why that's our problem. Because we can be obedient to God and miss the kingdom. You want proof? Look at the Pharisees in the Bible. They were extraordinarily obedient to every rule and they missed the kingdom of God. And what has happened in so many of us Christians is that our focus has been on obedient to God and we've missed kingdom. We have lived lives in obedience to God that have not manifested nor revealed the kingdom of God because our focus has been on what do I have to do to be right with you? Here's the problem. If I got a problem with Jeff, all I have to do is ignore him and feel like I've been obedient to God because I've not done nothing wrong. Does my ignoring Jeff reveal kingdom? See, when my focus is on not doing bad so that I'm right with God, I cannot do bad and miss kingdom. Do you understand? You follow me? If, however, my focus is on kingdom, then whatever reaction, whatever interaction I have with people, my focus is on kingdom. And what do I know about kingdom? Kingdom is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. So what do I have to do in my relationship with Jeff to manifest and to reveal love? I can't ignore him if I'm upset at him. At least I haven't sinned. Well, I haven't revealed kingdom neither. Do you understand? If I focus on kingdom, God's rule, obedience bursts forth. If I focus on kingdom and God's rule, miracles burst forth. If I focus on kingdom and God's rule, justice bursts forth. There's a huge difference. And please, Jesus did not come to make us Christian. He came to establish his kingdom of which he's invited us to be a part of. There's a huge difference when I focus on me. Because when I focus on me, it allows me to deny you and your need and still be not at fault with God. Do you understand? 
If my focus is not being at fault with God, then I can justify not doing anything for you. Because like we not, might not be great, but I'm okay with him. There's a vast difference between that and being focused on kingdom. Because when I focus on kingdom, my question is, in this instance, how do I reveal the kingdom of God to you? It changes how I relate to it. It changes my prayers. It changes, my, it changes everything. There's a profound implication on those who practice the revelation of the kingdom on relationships, on time, on prayer, on everything. The point is to this. Ask ourselves, what reveals kingdom? Not what keeps me out of trouble. I think there are far too many people in far too many churches that have worked on staying out of trouble and we have forever missed kingdom. I cannot deny you nor Christ and reveal kingdom. Hear me on this. Don't be so focused on being Christian that you miss being kingdom. You understand? No longer do the followers of Christ have the option of simply staying out of trouble with God. We have the obligation to reveal kingdom. And we know what that is. We know that the kingdom of the evil one is strife and difficulty and malice and pain and sickness and disease and trouble and divorce and addiction. We know what the kingdom of the evil one is and we live in it every day. And we also therefore know what the kingdom of God is, which is life and healing and health and miracle and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. We know what the kingdom of God is. And so in every interaction, no longer do I have the opportunity nor the, the, the excuse to simply avoid trouble. Now I have the obligation to do that which reveals kingdom. That's my, my job. The interesting thing to me is just, I know what time it is. Just, I'm going to finish this one out. I'm going to land a plane, as they say. In Matthew 6, I'm sorry, in Mark 10, just a couple, six chapters later, Mark 10, 15, Jesus will say this. So do you have to receive the kingdom of God as children? You, you got you to you receive this stuff as children. Here's the problem. We don't think like children anymore. We reason our way out of kingdom stuff. We've not seen this before. We've not heard this before. I've been around the block a long time. I know how life works. You, you try to explain this to a child, and the eyes get big, and the wonderment happens, and the possibilities explode in their mind. A childlike faith has childlike belief. They're not jaded by the difficulties of this world or their past anymore. They're not full the priority by the priorities of the kingdom of this world anymore. With childlike faith, I implore you in the name of Jesus to believe this, to understand the insights of the kingdom because it will have impact in the world. See, the life that Jesus came to bring, we have to understand this. The life that Jesus came to bring is a life in and of the kingdom. The kingdom. One day will change the entire external order of this world. 
One day the kingdom of God will, will transform the entire order of this world that we live in. Right now, it has entered into this world. We don't see it in its totality. We don't see it in its fullness. And we won't see it in full until Jesus comes back. But we do see it. Because in advance of the return of Jesus, God has planted his kingdom in this world. And so now we move and we think and we act in terms of kingdom, not just obedience. The kingdom of God has invaded the kingdom of the devil. And we believe. We believe that we have been delivered from the kingdom of the devil and the kingdom of the evil. And we believe as children that we have been delivered from the kingdom and its power of the devil. And we believe as children that we have been delivered from its bondage. And we believe as children that we have been delivered from sin and death. And into the kingdom of God. So God's kingdom continues to grow in silence. And we can do nothing to make it grow. We plant seeds of the word and in our hearts and we believe and we believe as children. We believe that God is the father and we believe that Jesus is the Christ and we believe in the Holy Spirit and his indwelling and we believe in the crucifixion and we believe in the resurrection and we believe that the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God and we believe in the kingdom Insight to God's kingdom creates impact in this world. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, do you believe? And if you do, our prayer becomes, that was Jesus told us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it already is in heaven. I believe in God the Father. And I believe in Jesus Christ the Son. And I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the crucifixion. I believe in the resurrection. And I believe that the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God that has already come and is coming in this world. I believe that. And the insight to the kingdom creates impact in the world. The kingdom of God over the kingdom of the devil. We have focused far too long on simple obedience and not being wrong with God that we've missed the kingdom of God. Don't miss the kingdom. So I'm going to invite you to pray. I'm going to invite you to pray in accord with what Jesus has asked us to pray. God, I believe and I pronounce your kingdom, your kingdom rule, and your kingdom reign over my life. I believe and I pronounce your kingdom rule and your kingdom reign over sin in my life. I am not bound by it anymore. Your kingdom come in my life. I believe and I pronounce your kingdom come, your kingdom rule, your kingdom authority over the pain of my past. I pronounce and I believe your kingdom come, your will be over the sickness in my life. I believe and I pronounce your kingdom come over the demons that have plagued my past and that have determined my future. They no longer reign. Your kingdom come manifested in this world, in this time, in Your kingdom come. I believe in you. You taught us to pray. Your 
So in this day, in this hour, 